<clears throat> hey everyone, Fred here. Just a quick note to introduce this episode. We met with Louis Vachon back in January, before COVID, and social distancing, and Flink's latest round of financing. So you won't hear anything about that, which I think can be a welcome break from our daily routines and a good opportunity to take a step back and gain some perspective. Hope you're all well. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the second season of Connect. On this podcast, we spend time with the innovators shaping the future of finance. We're kicking this season with a very special guest, Mr. Louis Vachon. Let me be upfront about something. Louis Vachon is the CEO of National Bank of Canada and NBC is a major Flinks investor. But this is precisely why we're thrilled to have this conversation. When Louis became CEO of National Bank, I was in high school and the iPhone didn't exist. Today, I carry a bank in my pocket. This episode is all about leading a huge organization as it navigates through rapid market shifts. We talk about successfully merging finance and tech, evolving your leadership style, and using corporate venture to generate value through partnerships. Here's one more thing I'd like to disclose. Louis Vachon and I have served together in Les Fusiers Mont-Royal, a primary reserve unit of the Canadian Armed Forces. This involves shared memories of fancy officer mess dinners, but also operating as infantrymen in the cold, cold rain. I'm Fred, Flink's CEO and co-founder. With me is Dominic, Flink's chief of staff. Let's do this. Tell me, was there a specific moment at which you realized the impact of technology on finance where it just happened gradually over time? I started my career in 1985, and I chose Citibank at that time because Citibank was one of the world leaders in what was a new financial technology, not information technology, it was a new financial technology called the interest rate swap, So, uh, which had, you know, officially became part of the, you know, the derivatives, the financial derivatives world. And my career, I basically followed the growth, my career followed the growth of the financial derivative uh, industry and which has been in the financial world, the uh, most explosive growth has not been ETFs or mutual funds. It's been the growth of the financial derivative business in the last 35 years. A lot of the stuff I was involved with involved, you know, global first. So I made my career out of that. And that's one of the reasons I became head of, uh, of National Bank is I grew the financial markets division uh, very nicely over a period of 10 years. And You know, uh, people figured out that the board of National Bank that it was pretty good at growing revenues and profits. So maybe I could make a good CEO. So that's for financial technology. Information technology, uh, it became very progressive over time. I would say um, even in 2000, 2001, 2002, we started sitting down with universities while I was at National Bank. And the universities were asking us, what should we do? in terms of you know, coming up with new programs. And I said, you need to, to have a program that combines uh, information technology and financial services in terms of knowledge. And uh, we started recruiting on that basis probably in 05 or 06. And today it's one of the reasons that uh, you know, we have one of the best, if not the best algorithmic trading you know, operation in the country is because we started merging these two concepts, I would say about 10, 15 years ago. You know, historically, 100% of the people we choose for training program in a capital markets division would have an MBA or 
you know, something that looks very much like an MBA. And about 10 years ago, we started taking 25 to 30% with an IT background uh, on the basis that we could train these people on the finance side, but it would be, you know, uh, it would be tougher to train, you know, yeah. MBAs on, you know, to have deep uh, programming. Mm. What's, what's the ratio now? Uh, it depends percent. on the divisions, yep. but I'd say in, in, in the trading side, <clears throat> it's, you know, at least 30, 40% of the staff now have a strong IT background. And would you say that thanks to this, the technological shift, the innovation within the bank is happening sort of organically? Uh, it is, uh, but it depends on the divisions. Now we do, you know, we have had internet banking at the bank for a very long time, but leading edge, really leading mm -hmm. edge, doing stuff that others didn't do. A lot of it initially started with capital markets, and now we move to AI. It means that for learning algorithms, for instance, we have very good expertise internally. And you know, four or five years ago, we started moving that expertise, you know, laterally within the organization. Canadian banking is universal banking, so that means you have many lines of businesses. Innovation can come from any one of them. You have to make sure, and that's easier said than done, I can guarantee you, that the knowledge, expertise uh, can, can move across the different business lines as opposed to things, staying stuck in a silo. Yeah, how do you tackle that lateral challenge? One of the ways we've done that is we create a transformation office uh, that made sure that we, we, we pushed uh, you know, uh, lateral uh, expertise strongly and um, but there is no substitute for very strong alignment mm -hmm. within the management team of the organization um, and in terms of strategy expertise and uh, and talent so if, if you run your executive committee and your management team in silos you will have a siloed organization mm -hmm. so um, we've made a huge amount of effort and strides in the last five six years to really try to eliminate The silo starting at the very top and then down in the organization. And what does that look like? Not to discontinue the executive team from the the, the directors or the. Uh, I'll give you one example. Mm -hmm. One, you have an IT budget. Okay, every year we try to you know on an ongoing basis, but once a year we have to yeah. really figure out what the priorities will be for the next six to 12 months in terms of IT budget. Where are we going to put the next dollars? So we spend about 800 million dollars a year in technology. 350, about 350 million is on new projects, mm -hmm. new initiatives. So that 350, how do we allocate yeah. that? Well, you know, one way is to say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm King Salomon and, you know, you for capital markets, uh, I, Louis, decide that uh, you get 50 million bucks and uh, personal and commercial banking gets to 100 million and then wealth management gets 50 and, uh, you know, corporate, uh, you'll get. So that's the King Salomon approach. It can work, uh, but you'll end up with very siloed thinking Um, and uh, what we did is we sat down with the team, look at all the major projects, and the team together decided mm. where the dollars were going to be allocated. Mm. On the short term, people in some divisions, you know, will say, okay, it's not going to be, you know, we'll have a little bit less money But they understand in, why. in 2020 yeah. because we have a bigger issue there and the priorities on that issue. So in terms of, and that's a lot tougher, takes a lot yeah. more Uh, work out of this, but uh, as you, we learn in the army, yeah. sweat saves blood. That's true too in finance, by the way. So if it's you know if if you spend a lot of time working on stuff, it makes it a lot easier when you get into the action uh, mode. So that's what we did basically. One of the um, the main role of a leader is to manage the hiring, the firing, and the rewarding. So like sort of these three pillars. Curious to hear you a bit about how do you handle staffing your key positions and how did that evolve over the years. 10, 15 years ago, I would put in more weight on 
sheer perception of competence, knowledge of products, and so forth. Uh, and a little less of how the person would fit into the team, mm -hmm. culture, behavior, interaction with others. 15 years ago, 14 years ago, when I started making choice, I would, you know, interview the person and then I would select the person. Uh, now, uh, everybody in the team, and there's mm. 11 of us in the executive committee, are in, everyone is involved in the, uh, in the selection process. I make the ultimate decision, but I do ask people for their opinion. So that's the, the hiring. In terms of rewarding, you manage a 20,000 plus people organization. What are the key principles that you use to do proper rewarding to drive your plans? Again, 10, 14 years ago, I think uh, the vast majority would have been on performance and a much smaller percentage on behavior and team behavior and, and so forth. Of course, integrity was always mm -hmm. uh, important, still is today, but integrity is pretty binary. Uh, either you do or you don't, and you don't, right. you're not, you know, it's goodbye Charlie Brown. But today I would say individual performance is probably 40-50%. Uh, team performance is another 25%. And the last 25% is team behavior, how you behave within the team mm -hmm. and uh, your own, you know, your, your own uh, uh, contribution to building the type of culture we want to have. And how is that measured? Is there some um, peer reviews? Do yes. you, yeah, yeah. We, you use do, that? we do peer reviews. Nice. Yeah. So including... Uh, yours uh -huh. truly and yeah. uh, God forbid, but uh, yeah. So yeah, going to the very top. Um, so the KPIs, the other thing too, that's very important. And I think, you know, I didn't put that in place. My predecessors at the bank put that in place. But when you look at performance of an organization and long-term value creation, it always has to be based on, um, on what we call the balance of the stakeholders. Namely, okay, you're generating profits, but are your customers satisfied? Are they happy? And are our employees mobilized? So in our KPIs and our performance indicators for myself, mm -hmm. the executive, by the way, my KPIs and the executive committee team, exactly the same. So, and we have KPIs on shareholders, how we perform in terms of profitability and so forth, how um, the net promoter scores and the growth of numbers of customers. And uh, thirdly, uh, we have uh, employee mobilization scores Uh, and so forth. So we're measured in terms of our performance on the three uh, st stakeholders. Uh, and also 70% of our comp compensation is now deferred over a three to five year period. Mm. So it's not, you know, it's too easy in a financial institution to, you know, to put lipstick on the pig and try to look good on one year uh, and make very bad decisions which affect performance over time. Breaking silos, easy to say, hard to do. Louis Vachon has been working for years on integrating his teams to make sure finance and tech work as a single unit. This challenge is evergreen, so it made sense to ask Louis what he's currently doing to prep National Bank for tomorrow's challenges. I'll start very basic. I've been CEO now for close to 14 years. As a CEO, I've had to adapt to uh, the birth and then the exponential growth of mobile banking. Learning algorithms was at the very beginning. Uh, cybersecurity was not a huge issue 14 years ago. Um, because of cyber, one of the things, when in reality, we now at National Bank and the other banks, we're on the front line of the geopolitical world. Managing change has been one of the realities we've been, we've been facing. And for managing change, we, we use the, the four C's of transformation. So in, in French, it's uh, communication, cheminement, cadence, and confiance. So the first C is communication. People are willing to transform. They're willing to change. Just tell them what the hell you're going. 
have to articulate. People are willing to follow. Any generation are willing to follow. Just tell them where we're going. Second C is Chemin uh, Mat, which is working together, helping people with change. Would that be customers or employees? You have to give them the tools to change, the training to change, the time to change. C is cadence, cadence, speed. Sometimes you need to accelerate. Sometimes you need to slow down. Because human nature, organizations, societies have a certain speed at which it can change. And if you go above that, you start choking the organization. And the last C is confidence. Confidence that A, you'll succeed, that you're going in the right place, and confidence that you trust your peers mm -hmm. within the organization. That's the four C's of transformation at the bank. That's what we've been applying now for many, many years. And we're always asking ourselves, are we helping people along? Are we moving too fast? Are we communicating enough? Every time you think you're communicating enough, you're probably not communicating mm -hmm. enough. One of the things we've done in the last 15 years is accelerate the pace of communication, the content, you know, and how often we communicate with, uh, with the employees. Those are all things, how you, how you manage change during the period of time. The last big change from your customer standpoint was the adoption of mobile banking. What do you think the next one will be, the next one in which you'll be applying the four Cs? Uh, mobile is definitely one. Uh, I think uh, the, the next big one, I think, is going to be open banking. And everybody has a different uh, definition of open banking. Right. So the, for the next big transformation is uh, how is it being defined and how is it being deployed and how is it being enacted and how our customers are going to live through open banking. And what does that mean to you? You mentioned yeah, that there's multiple um, interpretations of it, but what does that mean for the bank? I think for us, uh, given the fact that we're uh, in a position where uh, we're a dominant player in one part of the country and a challenger in other parts of the country, I think uh, from a both theoretical and practical standpoint, it should make us more open to open banking. Because, you know, they don't need to be a genius to figure out that yeah. we have probably a little bit more to gain than to yeah. lose in it. Where the rubber will meet the road on open banking is the issue of data protection and cybersecurity. Consumers, governments, regulators want better choice. But at the same time, they're very sensitive about the issue of data security and, and, and cybersecurity. At the same time, though, I think clearly, you know, open banking is one of the chapters of the old debate about uh, who owns the data and how that data is going to be managed you know, yeah. globally. So you cannot lose pick, you know, the big picture, which is the role of, of the digital giants and how now digital giants are now, after 10 years of the banks being the pinatas of the regulators and the politicians <laughs> after financial crisis, I'm glad to say that you know, the FANG have uh, now replaced the banks as the pinata. Uh, so I think there's going to be significant political and regulatory focus on the technology and social and economic impact of the activities of uh, the digital giants. And that will, in some cases, be positive for initiatives like open banking. In some cases, if it's poorly handled and under the scenarios, sorry, uh, that may be an obstacle. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. Mm -hmm. With open banking, uh, what level of understanding do you think the average customer needs? I think that will evolve over time. I think the the issue of data protection, data ownership, you know, average consumers across age categories are becoming more aware of it and, and better informed. You know, as people become more sensitive and aware and informed on that particular issue, that will be, I think, a positive for open banking. 
Dell understands the pros and the potential mm -hmm. downside mm -hmm. of uh, of that regime and uh, how. What does it mean to them? Is it a more positive or a negative uh, experience for them? What do you think the main pros will be for them? Greater choice, uh, greater agility, uh, uh, velocity of making changes. Um, I think that's the number one. Easier diversification of, uh, of uh, your portfolio of business. Mm -hmm. The downside is quite clear. It's, it's, yeah. it's cybersecurity mm -hmm. risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, if my data is over two or three institutions, Do I dilute uh, responsibility mm -hmm. for data protection if I do so? And you know, do I make myself more vulnerable on that front? The pace of innovation in finance makes it hard, very hard, for any organization to keep up on its own. It's not uncommon for banks to seek out tech partners, hoping they will find a good match for their needs. Louis Vachon turned to a distinctive strategy, corporate venture. Curious to hear first, what prompted you to start the early stage investment fund at the bank? One of the things was, um, you know, going back four or five years ago, we could see that the technology transformation was accelerating. And just doing stuff internally was probably limiting uh, the velocity at which we could adapt, we could learn, we could try new stuff. I was at the Business Council of Canada, which I'm a, I'm a member There was a presentation on corporate venture by a couple of firms that were large Canadian firms that are and were involved and still are. And uh, they were, you know, explaining how they were using corporate ventures to increase revenues and all that, but also to be on the lookout for new ideas and technology mm -hmm. and, you know, to avoid falling into insular thinking, excessive insular thinking. So I came back and, uh, you know, we don't have a big organization. So I went to see David Furlong. I said, David, you're volunteered and, you know, you're from Newfoundland, so you don't know any better. So go and charge. <laughs> and um, and then he hired uh, Philip Daou. And mm -hmm. Philip is from Bellyfield. He doesn't know any better. So go and charge. Excellent. So, <laughs> so now we have an army of two or three people. And we now have about 12 investments, mm -hmm. including you guys, right? Yep. We lean and mean and very small, uh, try to be non-bureaucratic. Almost all the investments we made, we use a product, mm -hmm. try to deployment. It's not, you know, we're not a venture fund in and of itself. We want the solutions to be tested, to mm -hmm. be deployed, to be used within within the bank. Yeah. We do that for our customers, but also for for ourselves to see how, you know, the industry is evolving and and going, having a real R&D. We do a bit of R&D internally, but if we can leverage that with what's been done externally, I think it's a very powerful model. Mm -hmm. Often corporate venture is, if they're too isolated and your organization is too siloed, the rest of the bank cannot be bothered with the pet projects of what the corporate ventures guys are doing. Said, so, you know, leave me alone. I'm not going to deploy that stuff in my network and yeah. go from there. So we, we work desperately and very hard to try to avoid that. Are you satisfied by how the corporate venture arm and the rest of the bank are meshed together, yes, actually? I think, yes, and, and one way to measure that is You know, how many of the investments we made, yeah. you know, the products have been deployed or are being deployed internally. What would you attribute that success uh, to, uh, of, of being able to leverage uh, the solutions? And to I think keeping, this, the, keeping the team small, keeping very good contact between, you know, the small venture team we have and the business line. Philip and the team make a good job of explaining, why don't we test this and mm -hmm. see how that goes? Yeah. And by the way, it's not just the business lines. On some companies involved in, in uh, learning algorithms, it's been our internal audit group that uh, yeah. you know has been running the beta project yeah. on some of the technology. Not a group known for you know automatically coming to mind. You know yeah. innovation. Oh, it must be internal audit. No, it's not. But 
it's, you know, there, that's where they're doing it. Yeah. So it's not just the business lines, the corporate functions also can play a big role. And, you know, they need new products to increase their, yeah. their efficiency and their productivity. How frequently are you involved with the activities of your fund? They have to come to the risk committee of the bank for every new investment, whether mm -hmm. it's 500,000 bucks or, you know, 4 million. So I see them formally, mm -hmm. you know, to the extent we were formal about this at least once a month, uh, informally just about every week. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it doesn't have to be a long conversation, mm -hmm. you know, uh, either Quick between, with David or yeah. with Philip, you know, informally in a corridor. Yeah. So there's often some successes, quite a bit of failures in, in POCs with fintech startups, um, whether investees or investments or not. What's the success rate been like at the bank uh, and the experience been like for your, your teams? Quite good so far. Uh -huh. I think, uh, you know, we've had in the majority of the positions, I think we're looking at uh, greater valuation. Now, we are looking at a, at, a, at a major bull market in technology. The real uh, test will be in the down cycle. Um, yeah. And my view was that the failed IPO mm -hmm. of WeWork was a pretty significant moment uh, in terms of bringing uh, valuations and business models back to model, you know, to planet Earth. So is it the beginning of a, of a great correction? We'll see. But I think it was a pretty important moment. It doesn't mean that we'll stop investing in technology mm -hmm. and so forth. But I think, you know, uh, at some point, cash does matter. You need to able to translate your, your ideas into cash. We just mentioned the failed IPO of WeWork. You probably heard about the, I guess we could call it the successful acquisition of Plaid yeah. uh, by Visa. What yes. do you think about that? But anyway, when you write a, a check of, of uh, that magnitude, you, you obviously believe that open banking is a pretty important concept. So um, yeah, I think it shows that, uh, you know, good solutions that provide real value to customers or to strategic acquirers you know, will generate value. But we'll see. I mean, that's either it's going to be, <laughs> these things tend to be pretty binary too. Either it was an important moment strategically or five years from now, they're going to write that thing down to, you know, many billions less. Mm -hmm. So it could be either one. What would be your recommendations to um, startups that are looking for an investment? Deal with people you trust. That's number one. A shop is number two. It really depends what your business model is and what stage you're at and what your history is and track record, but you know, there's a world of difference between angel investors and uh, venture funds and corporate ventures and specialized financial funds. Um, and in Quebec, uh, government entities play, a, you know, government sponsored entities mm -hmm. play a pretty big role. So a shop and work with the people you, uh, you're comfortable with and uh, diversify a little bit. Don't put all your eggs in the same basket. What's the bank looking for uh, before investing? It's always about people, right? It's cliche, but happens to be true. Uh, who then what, right? So what's the team? Do they have passion about what they're doing? Do they have the right idea? Is that idea scalable? If they don't have the full team, are they the type of people we think will be able to attract the rest of the team? Are they agile enough to scale their organization if they have to? Are they agile enough to realize they made a mistake and they need to change direction? That one is a lot tougher. Mm -hmm. Uh, tougher on the ego, mm -hmm. so but also equally important uh, for startups. And then there is at some point once you pass that, the second part is what positive impact would this thing, this product or the solution have on our customers mm -hmm. uh, or on the operations of the bank. If we made venture investments, it's because we feel it's quite important. There's uh, significant gains for us, not just financially but uh, strategically. Mm -hmm.
this is it for today's show. You can read highlights of this episode with Louis Vachon on our blog, as well as the many other conversations we've had with builders and innovators. Get new episodes as soon as they're released. Subscribe at flinks.io slash blog. <laughs>